Have you guys heard there's a pretty good cross-country team here in town? I don't know. Uh, undefeated, baby, you know? Two in a row. So our new chant on the bus on the way back is that we came from the hood to bring back the goods. So at least that's my chant. I don't know if anybody else chants it. But, um, so one of the things that I'm very aware of as we journey through Scripture here, we've been talking about um, the nature of God, is that there are very few people... Um, I think that put a lot of time into trying to figure out who God is and how he operates. There might be people that ask a lot of questions about who God is and how he operates, but then taking the next step of like really going deeper and getting into the word and praying and saying, God, would you open my eyes? Would you give me understanding into who you are and how you operate? Or could I maybe bring a mentor that can sit down with me and, and I could really hash through some questions and really kind of maybe try to find some clarity, that doesn't happen very often. And I'm including the church in that assessment. So my desire for us is that this series would be more than just interesting, would be more than just informative, okay? A frog that can change colors in its environment, that's interesting, but it's not transformative. And so my hope is that by the time we get to the end of this series, that it, that it will have changed us. It will have changed uh, our perspective on life. It will have changed the way that we view uh, whatever circumstances we might be going through at the time. Um, very importantly, I hope it will change the way in which we share the gospel and the story of God with other people. And I pray that it will um, maybe change the way uh, or maybe our, just our willingness to try to engage and answer people's hard questions about God and about the Bible. So that's my hope. <laughs> These past two weeks, we've been discussing this relationship that uh, we have with a God who sometimes feels like a stranger, other times maybe feels like an enemy, and sometimes uh, feels like a friend. We talked last week a little bit about what does friendship with God look like? What does that mean? So last week we looked at the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the consequences that came about because of their choice and our choice to disobey God when they thought they knew what they needed better than God did. So if you haven't had a chance to listen the last two weeks, if you missed either of those, please go to our website, check them out. Uh, these are kind of building blocks uh, as we're kind of stacking things on top of each other, hopefully to have a better understanding of what we're going to be doing this semester. But at the end of that account last week, uh, we looked in, in Genesis 2 and 3, and at the end of Genesis 3, the very end of my message, we talked about... Um, you know, the way that God, after he had informed them how hard life was going to be now that sin entered the world, we see God displaying his mercy to Adam and Eve. He, he kills the first living thing, an animal, to provide clothing for them, to cover over the shame they felt at their nakedness that they were now aware of. And we can relate to that experience, I think most of us, when we're naked emotionally find ourselves feeling vulnerable and exposed, that God's grace through his son Jesus covers us over and clothes us with his righteousness we talked about last week. 
So today we're going to continue kind of marching through scripture and through history down to a guy named Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. So I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. It's page 10 in your Bibles. And we're going to take a look at God's very first words to Abraham. He was known as Abram at the time. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Well, nice to meet you. It's a little bit of a troubling introduction. All right? Hey, hey, old man, okay, Abraham's 75 at this time. Hey, I'd like you to just go ahead and leave everything that you know, uh, the people that you know, the place that you find comfort, every connection, every sense of belonging that you have, and I want you to just go ahead and move. Okay, well, where would you like me to move, God? Oh, you know, I'll tell you later. It'll be all right. But this is a strange interaction. It's a lot. Uh, for God to ask from a first conversation, right? So let's take a look as he goes on. He, he says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Man, I would love to be inside of Abraham's mind at this moment as God is saying these things. Because I'm sure something in him is thinking, hey, you know who I am, right? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to bless all the nations of the world through me. I've got no kids. I'm 75, right? My wife can't get pregnant. She's been barren for 50, 55 years, however long they've been together, okay? But Scripture doesn't record Abraham asking any questions. How does verse 4 begin? Look at it. It says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. I guess that's why he's in the, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, because he has this, this trust in God. And it says, as you read on in the story in that chapter, God leads him to the land of Canaan, okay, a land that's already occupied by the Canaanites. And he says, I'm going to give you this land, okay? Um, now, this is a whole different sermon that I'm not going to get into today, but that's just kind of an interesting concept, right? You get brought to a land, the people are already there, and God says, this is going to be yours, and you and your, your family. And somehow, God's got to get rid of those people that are already there, right? He's going to have to wipe those people out, destroy the people that he created so Abraham can live there. Again, we talked about uh, in week one, some things maybe in Sunday school we didn't dive into when we talked about these topics, but uncomfortable events to consider. And if you've been following God long enough, those of you in here maybe have been Christians for a while, you know that he asks us to do some, some strange things sometimes too. All right? When we begin a relationship with him, he might say, hey, I need you to, I need you to find a different friendship group for a while. Or I need you to, I need you to break up with that guy or girl that you've been with. Because those folks, that person, they're, just, they're not on the same path that you're on now. And it's going to be tough to stay connected to them for a while. Or take that job in a new city that you've never been to, you don't know anybody. Or, or what about this one? Like give away 
I want you to give away that last $20 that you have to that stranger right over there. I don't know if you've ever felt nudged that way before. It's hard to anticipate what God is orchestrating for our lives and what his next request for us might be. But one thing that I've discovered in life is that the true depth of my faith and my love for other people is usually revealed in those moments when God shows up unexpectedly, especially disguised as a stranger. Abraham had a moment like that in his story. I want you to to turn over to chapter 18 now, a few chapters later. We're going to read 1 through 15, so hang in there with me for a minute. 18.1 says this, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Well, I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. (laughs) I love these little just quirky things in Scripture sometimes um, that are in there. So this is a really strange and and intriguing encounter, right? Who are these strangers who show up outside of Abraham's tent? Because as you look down through the narrative, um, it's it's really interesting how Abraham and and these strangers have this discussion. So Abraham, if you look at it, addresses them collectively as Lord, all of them together, in verse 3. In verse 5, it says, they replied... Verse 9, they asked, but then in verse 10, only one of them speaks, and in verse 13, that speaker is the Lord, who then says in verse 14 that I, singular, will return. All right, so this is just weird, weird stuff. So apparently, God has come to visit Abraham and Sarah, but they don't know that it's him. So this is an interesting kind of plot twist from the garden where Adam and Eve are hiding from God. In this story, God is hiding from humanity. 
So all we can really discern here is that God has some reason for disguising his glory so that he can have a face-to-face encounter with humanity. Kind of like Jesus did, if you remember, after the resurrection, right? He appears to the two pilgrims walking back um, from their weekend and all the stuff that they'd seen, Jesus dying, and Jesus kind of pops in on them and walks with them, but they don't recognize him along the way. It reminded me as I was writing this of that show, Undercover Boss, all right? On cable, who's seen that show before? Okay, so who can tell me? Y'all watch too much TV, right? I watched it like once for ten minutes. No, um, who can tell me the premise of that show? Just real quickly, what's the idea behind Undercover Boss? Yes. Yeah, so the big CEO that, you know, kind of stays hidden from sight and nobody really knows, the CEO shows up uh, on the ground floor, you know, with the underlings, yeah, in the factory or in the restaurant or whatever it might be that he owns and and poses as somebody that's kind of being trained and learning things and and he's getting kind of a, you know, a, a... ground floor view of, you know, what's the, what's the climate here? What's the culture here? Do people like working here? You know, are these good employees? How hard is this job that I'm asking people to do for what I'm paying them, right? All those kinds of things. So, um, so God kind of moves in kind of like the undercover boss here into this situation, okay? Um, in order to get the real significance and application of this story, though, we really have to understand that it's loaded with, with cultural context, Okay, so I want to unpack a little bit of that uh, for us here. So Abraham lived at least 4,000 years ago. Okay, so 4,000 years ago, people didn't just travel around. Okay, there, there weren't like hotels and restaurants and tourist attractions back in the day. People stayed put. All right, so if you were a traveler, you were traveling for a reason. And usually that reason was bad. Okay, a lot of times it was focused around either like your land is having a famine, a drought, and so you're moving to go find food somewhere else. Or your nations or countries around you are at war, so you're fleeing that, or there's some persecution that's going on, and so you're on the road. So it was assumed that anytime you saw a traveler going by your town, they were in dire circumstances. Okay, so and you knew they were in need of some basic things, shelter, Right? They couldn't check into the Holiday Inn. They needed a place to stay. There wasn't, you know, a McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever on the road to just pick some food up. They, they had to rely on the hospitality of people to get food and water along the way. So, Abraham's culture then at that time, they had very strict kind of expectations about how you treated uh, wanderers, strangers, exiles, refugees, okay? And so that's why you see in the story in verse 2, it says Abraham like runs out to the strangers, okay? And this, isn't, this is not uh, out of the ordinary per se. So, but when I look back closely at Abraham's actions in those first few verses, I was blown away by his hospitality. I want you guys to look at verses 1 through 8, and I want you to kind of maybe take a look and see where Where did Abraham go above and beyond probably what was expected of him in his culture? 
If you find something, just shoot your hand up. Share it with us. Yeah. He, he what? He uses the finest flour. Good. Not the cheap stuff, right? You save for the guests. Yeah, Sean? Yeah, the most tender calf. All right, the best that he had. Yeah. Yeah, he bowed down to these people, right? They, he didn't even know who they were. And he took this posture of, I'm a servant. I'm serving you, right? What else? Oh, man, that's good, yeah. It says that he stood off at a distance while they ate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he begged them to come in. Now, it's one thing if you own a restaurant and you're begging people to come in that are going to pay for what you're about to give them, but this, this, these people aren't paying, right? It's costing you, and you're begging them to come in. Okay? Anything else? Yeah, DJ. He took what? Yeah. He took, yeah, he dressed himself as a servant. Great. Yeah, he calls them Lord, too, when they come, right? So he, he does all of these things that are just over the top. Um, what do these actions tell us about him then? What do these actions tell us about his character? Obedient. He's obedient, okay, yeah, for one. He, 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 he honors the, the code, the regulations of, of his culture. What else? Yeah, Sarah? He's humble. What else? Yeah, Taylor. Uh, he considers others' needs above his. Yeah, he considers others better than himself, you know. He's excited about the opportunity to serve, okay? So we find a lot about who he is in this moment, okay? Now, often when we donate to people in need, let's just be honest, folks, Okay? This is how it goes sometimes, right? We go to our closet. We start finding all the stuff that we don't wear anymore, right? What's in here that uh, I'm probably never going to wear again? Let me give that away, right? Let me pull down those Miss Me jeans, right? Get out that Hollister button-up from 2005, right? Then we go to the pantry. You know, you've got 20 cans of Always Save Green Beans you bought on sale. You're kind of sick of. Yeah, let me go ahead and grab this. I'm kind of sick of this. Right, we load it all up, then we take it down to a middleman, some agency, organization, nonprofit, who, who then we give it to, who then they go and make the, the gift to the person in need so that we don't have to have that potentially awkward interaction with someone we don't know. That can be a painfully accurate description of my, my sometimes shoddy version of generosity. I'll just speak for myself. But Abraham's hospitality reminds me more of that verse in Hebrews 13, 12. It says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. You see, Abraham treats these guests as if God was showing up that day. And in fact, he was. And it's quite a contrast to the <clears throat> back deck, doors locked, no trespassing, beware of dog, 
no soliciting environment we create to insulate ourselves from others in need. So since people only traveled in the ancient world under dire circumstances, isn't it interesting that God takes on the persona of a weary, hungry, thirsty refugee waiting for his creation to care for his needs? Chapter 12, God made Abraham an exile, a stranger. And now in verse 18 or chapter 18, God shows up as an exile, stranger. And this exile disguise should be kind of familiar to us, right? Jesus and, and his family are exiles, refugees. When he's a toddler, they have to go to Egypt, right? They're fleeing persecution. Herod is trying to kill them. As an adult, he plays the role of a weary traveler. He shows up next to the well in the midday sun in Samaria waiting for someone to come and to give him a drink. Look at the image Jesus paints of himself in Revelation 3.20, all right, a verse you're probably familiar with. It says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's an image of Jesus standing and knocking at the door of our hearts, our lives, saying, hey, open up, waiting to be invited in, to sit down and have a personal encounter with us, a meal. Who's providing the food in that story, that encounter? If you want to get super spiritual, you'd say both, right? Because Jesus is the bread of life. But it doesn't say that Jesus is standing there holding the cheesecake factory, right? Saying, hey, can I come in? I got some great stuff for us, right? No, it's, he, he, he's the person that we're going to be taking care of. I'm going to sit down and have a meal with you. What does that tell us? It tells us that providing hospitality is going to cost us something. It was costly for Abraham to provide hospitality to these three strangers. There was a price tag on his generosity. But who was most blessed in this encounter? Abraham and Sarah were, right? Because what does the stranger say to them? He says, hey, a year from now, you're going to have a son. They've been waiting 50, 55 years for a child. That was a big deal in their society, right? Somebody to inherit the things that they had, somebody to take care of them in their old age. You're going to be blessed. What if Abraham hadn't asked those strangers to sit down that day? What if he hadn't been so adamant? Would his story have been different? Would have it turned out the same way? See, this sermon series isn't just about who is God, but it's also about where are you looking for him? Is it just in church on Sunday mornings? Is it just the predictable places that kind of require a predictable pattern of, of worship and the things that are kind of expected? Or do we believe that God turns up when we least expect it? Revealing the true depths of our faith and our love for other people, our neighbor. How does he find us when he catches us off guard? 
And Jesus takes this whole hospitality thing even different or even deeper. He says, um, you know, he wants us to extend it not just to strangers, but to our enemies as well. I want you to, to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It's page 879. Matthew 5 in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 38, he says, You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Another translation of that verse, the last one we read, verse 42, says this. Give to the one who begs from you. Why? Because in that act of hospitality, God has something that he wants you to receive. I love this quote. Uh, I talked about this book, God is Stranger, that we got this series from. The author's referring to Revelation 3.20 that we just read a minute ago. <clears throat> he said this. He said, God never needs to knock as Lord of all, he could command and enter. But instead, we find a God who waits to be invited and accepts hospitality, not because he needs anything, but because there is something significant in this for us. Welcoming a stranger. Isn't that what we do or what we maybe did when we first kind of recognized Jesus as Savior and Lord of our life, and we surrendered ourselves to Him. I mean, what did we really know about God <laughs> in that time? I can tell you that when I was 16, I didn't know much, right? But what I did know was enough. I knew enough to know that He'd created me and that He loved me. I knew enough to know at that age that I had this problem with sin that I couldn't conquer in my own strength and abilities, my own determination to not be bad. I understood that he had the power because he was perfect to die and to take my sin away, and he did that, offering me forgiveness and grace that cost me nothing and cost him everything. I understood that now I was a new creation, that, that I had this hope for eternal life with him. I did know that. And many of us in this room have given away tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of our life following Jesus. We've given, we've served people physically, emotionally, not because Jesus needs our money, not because he needs our service, but because he has something for us to receive in those acts of generosity and hospitality. He's shaping our character in the midst of those moments. In his article, Mother Teresa and Loving the Christ We Pass By, David Scott wrote this. Mother Teresa, too, wanted us to see in the poor the richness of Christ. These are our treasures, she would tell visitors to her mission in Calcutta. They are Jesus. Each one is Jesus in his distressing disguise. She taught us to meet our maker in the poorest of the poor to find our salvation there. 
man, that phrase, Jesus in his distressing disguise. When God showed up in his distressing disguise that day outside of Abraham's tent, Abraham was ready. He would already knew how he was going to respond. His heart was already shaped for that moment. Not just to do what was expected, but to lavish on this stranger the very best that he could offer as if God himself were showing up. What do the encounters that we have with the hurting and needy strangers around us tell us about the condition of our hearts? Let me say that again. What do the encounters that we have with the hurting, needy strangers around us tell us about the condition of our hearts? What blessings have we missed because we ignored Jesus in his distressing disguise? Too busy, too distracted, too fearful, too selfish to care. Abraham passed the test. And in that moment, God knew that he'd found someone that he could trust with more. See, it wasn't Abraham's intellect. It wasn't his degrees that he had in theology or the achievements that he had or the clothes that he wore. It was how he loved the stranger that qualified him for God to entrust him with more. So what about us? We're coming to the communion table today. So if you're like me, (laughs) you see, you guys have to come and listen to me for a few minutes on Sunday morning. I have to deal with this stuff all week long, right? I'm studying, I'm writing, God's going, you know, you're just as guilty as everybody else, right? I'd have to wrestle with this for days. Count yourselves lucky, people. Um, I'm just going to give you a couple minutes right now to wrestle, all right? I'm just going to have some time to just pray and just listen to the Lord, maybe confess some things about some things in our character that keep us from wanting to engage. Or maybe if we even are willing to engage, are we willing to lavish? Are we willing to give at a level that says, I know this is going to hurt, But that person before me is Christ. Maybe he's Jesus in his distressing disguise coming to me today. Uh, After we've had some time to pray, the ushers will dismiss you to come down for communion. You can tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. If you're gluten-free, go down to that end, and we'll take care of you there as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Uh, Man, your word is challenging. We thank you for Abraham's example. Thank you for how you set up this world, Lord, that it's not just about the, the brightest and the best and who can achieve the most and that when you do those things, you deserve what you've got and you can just kind of ignore everybody else. No, Lord, you tell us that it's our responsibility to love our neighbor, whoever that neighbor is. Whatever they've done, even if they're our enemy, Your call is to lavish on us, God, because that's who we were. We were an enemy to you. We were a stranger to you. 
an alien to you. We did not understand your ways. We didn't want your ways. And what did you do? You lavished on us grace and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance and love and tenderness that we didn't deserve. So who are we to withhold it from your children, making judgments about the decisions they've made in life like we're better than them? Man, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I confess my arrogance, my selfishness. I come before you just (laughs) needing your touch, thankful that despite all the junk that wages war in my heart and mind that you still love me anyways. 